Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. My message this morning is we're going to locate ourselves in Psalm 23. And if you're taking notes, the, 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 the name of my message this morning is Psalm 23. That's original. That's what David named it, so I'm going to name it the same. Psalm 23. Last week we did Psalm 11, and it was just awesome diving in and really pulling apart uh, a psalm. I love that God says that David is a man after his own heart. There's so much that we can learn from the person of David as it pertains to relationship with God. David did not have the, 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 uh, the, the knowledge and, and the information, and he was not at the stage where we are, where we've seen Jesus come, live, die, and be raised again, and ascend to the right hand of the Father. He did not have that which we have now. He did not have the access, like, like we have the access via the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. But he did know God, and he had this intimate relationship with God, which, which God says is like a man after my own heart. There's none like David that, that had this heart. And so I love to lean into his, his words and into his psalms uh, because they really speak to maybe the position we could get ourselves to, to be in this deep relationship with God that we're called into. That is the, I love that, the Westminster Catechism, when it was written some hundreds of years ago, when they were trying to outline basically the orthodoxy of Christianity, and they, go, they gathered a bunch of uh, theologians and scholars, and they spent some time together to come up with the Westminster Catechism and the confession of our faith. And the very first point of this Westminster Catechism is that, that the purpose of mankind is to, is to worship God, glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. Like the actual whole purpose, the whole purpose of your being, the whole purpose of your creation, the whole, the whole summation of what you exist for is to, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If, if, if we don't add the enjoy Him forever, it can seem like it's about just white knuckling your way through life, and then you make it, and it's like, well done, you know, you've made it through this like hardship. Yes, Paul did say that it's a momentary affliction. Yes, there are trials and persecutions. Yes, life is not easy. But there is a, a delighting and an enjoying in God right now, right this moment. That is the purpose of our existence. And so I, I take that as kind of my, my sort of thinking when I come at Psalm 23 this morning as we pull it apart and, uh, and look at, at what David has to say here. And maybe we can just take a couple of these beautiful tidbits away, because what we're doing is we're leaning into one of the most common, well-known passages of Scripture. In fact, more hospital beds have been visited with this set of Scriptures. More, more, more soldiers at war have been, have been encouraged by this Scripture. This is the, set of, this is the, this is the peace coming in and, and, and God's with you in the moment kind of sets of Scripture. And so this has been spoken over and spoken out so, many, so much that maybe we can become all too familiar with it. And so this morning, I'm hoping that through the Holy Spirit, He would breathe new light, shed new light on it for your soul and your good in Jesus' name. So then let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word and you are all truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that your desire is to illuminate truth to our hearts. And I thank you that as we gather here this morning for these few moments we have left, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the word of God into our hearts this morning and that, God, you would do the transformational work that, the, that your word will do to restore, to bring life, to bring freedom, to bring liberty, to bring truth, and to guide us into all purpose in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, let's read it and let's break it down together, shall we? Psalm 23, I'm going to read the whole psalm and then we're going to pull it to pieces. Uh, uh, psalm 23, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of right, paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this psalm. I love this psalm. So why don't we break this down together? Uh, firstly, before we get into it, it says it's a psalm of David, and it's, uh, it's well documented and, and uh, positioned uh, by theologians that this psalm was written in his kingly days. So this was not David when he was a shepherd as a, as a child. This was not David running from Saul in his years before he became king. They believe that this psalm was written in the latter days of David when he was the king, when he was no longer the shepherd. And I think this is, it makes it quite interesting that he is in those days when he writes this. Why? Because he, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Why is that important? Well, let's focus on the shepherd word. Because you see, in Israel at the time, shepherding was a lowly thing. It was often given, as David knows, to the youngest child. The youngest was the least. The oldest had the inheritance, the youngest was the least. Uh, and so it was charged to families and charged to, to, to the children of families that the youngest, the least, would take care of the sheep. It was a lowly position. It was a lowly position here. And I love that David, in his kingliness and in his king state, uh, with a fulfillment of everything, understands that God is not beyond. Although God is king, he is also shepherd. He is also tender and caring and loving towards David. He identifies God as a shepherd. Now, God has been identified as a shepherd through Scripture. God was identified in Genesis 49 as the shepherd of Israel. Jesus himself was identified as the shepherd, that he would be the shepherd. In John 10, he says that the sheep will hear my, know my voice, that in the first Peter, he says that I am the great shepherd. So being, uh, being attributed to shepherding and caring for his people is not something new. But what I love about this particular part is that David identifies the shepherding heart of God personally. Up until this point, Genesis was that God was the shepherd of Israel. David is now saying he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's taking the, the, the caring, nurturing, protecting uh, position of God as he looks back on his life and he sees all of that God has led him through and looks back at his own shepherding of sheep and understand what he did because he was a good shepherd to his sheep. The Bible says that he fought the bear and the lion. 
to protect the sheep. So he was a good shepherd. In fact, David was excellent at everything he did. And in fact, if we just go on a side note, can we go on a, can we go on a rabbit trail here? Because what I love is that, that, that there's a grind behind the gift. There's a grind behind the gift. And that, and that is that we often want the gift or we want the position, we want the opportunity, we want, we want the influence. And we look at people that might be in those positions and we think, man, how did they get there? That's a, and we see the gift behind, that the person has and we think, we look at maybe what we have and we kind of think they're a five-talent person, I'm a whatever. But here's the thing, there was a grind behind the gift. David didn't just you know, become the king of Israel without a, without a grind. He ground out being a shepherd. He, and he did that with excellence and he did that with, with, with the best of his ability. And then you think about the harp that he played. Man, that guy could play the strings, baby. And, and, but he practiced, he honed that gift. He, he honed that craft so that when the day came and we need someone because the king is being tormented and he's like, well, I honed the gift for preparation for the day that it might be used by God for influence. There's a grind behind the gift. And nothing is wasted, right? So whatever you're doing right now, and wherever you find yourself in right now, David, the king of Israel, found himself lowly shepherding, shepherding, yet God says, you are my anointed king. Wherever you find yourself right now, it is not wasted. God is preparing you for what he has for you in this moment right now. There is no next that's not attached to right now. Preach. <laughs> it's not, actually, it's not, actually, I'm just reading the scriptures, by the way. I don't actually have notes this morning. Just wondering. <laughs> That's the best ones. Yeah. Anyway, uh, by the way, I recommend eSword. It's a fantastic program. It's free. It has commentaries. It has all sorts on it. The, the, you can get the Bible in all different, you know, uh, translations. It's phenomenal. eSword. I recommend it. Great program. The Lord is my shepherd. I love the. I love the uh, declaration of this. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. And so the declaration also comes with a proclamation, I shall not want. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I think there's two things you can look at that. I shall not want could mean that God will provide my every need, and therefore there will be no lack in the provision of my good shepherd, that he is going to provide what I need. He's going to come through for me. But I also believe you can take it as I shall not want that when I have the Lord as my shepherd, when I have a personal connection and tender care and I know God as shepherd, he will fulfill all of the desires of my heart. There will be nothing that I would long for that he would be the fulfillment of my desire. He will provide my provision and he will fulfill my desire. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. When God is in the position in your life as my shepherd, which means that we must be sheep. I think that's one of the hardest things. I think one of the hardest, hardest things is to, to take the position in the heart of a sheep, to be leadable, to understand that we're sheep. A lot of, uh, a lot of preaching nowadays is all about you've got it, you can do it, you're an overcomer, yeah, all of those things. Scripture. I'm not saying that those things are not true, but you're also the sheep. You are also easily led astray, prone to wander, needing of care, needing of attention, needing of leading. We are those people. And as an under-shepherd to God, I am a sheep as well, and I need leading. I know in my life that my mind is easy to wander. My life is easy to go astray. And so uh, I need that leading. But there needs to be a decision and desire to allow that leadership. Some. Verse 23, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Again, speaking to 
the tenderness of God here, but also to his authority. As sheep, we are uh, prone to, to run ourselves weary and not lie down. There's a rhythm that God created in, in, in life. Again, the rhythm that God actually uh, demonstrated to us in the creation story and the creation narrative of a day of rest. And uh, there is a real challenge for us, isn't there, to find rest in life. I feel like the busier we get in culture and society and the more, and then the more uh, efficient we get with things and we, we bring things into our world to make life easier and quicker and, you know, uh, go to the, we went to the movies yesterday. The first time we went to the movies, when was the last time I went to the movies as a family? Levi wanted to do, that was his birthday choice, let's go to the movies. So off we went, uh, Peter Rabbit 2. It was not cheap. It was not cheap. We bought, we spent $70 on food. And that was snacks, yes, yeah. But nowadays, you don't even have to do that. You can just get it to, straight to your TV, whatever you want to watch, it's there. You can pick up the phone and order food delivered straight to your door. Or, or you could be really good and order a HelloFresh box where they, you know, tell you exactly how to do everything and make it kind of simple and easy. Or you could buy a Thermomix like we did to make <laughs> cooking real easy. Uh, plugging Thermomix, this makes be proud of me. Uh, but we fill our lives, right, to make lives more convenient, but then we still find ourselves tired, weary, and busy. We identify as a culture as tired, busy and tired. Those are our catchphrases, aren't they? And everyone says, how are you? It's normally, oh, pretty busy. Or, or you know, if you're honest, you know, how, oh, a bit tired, you know, whatever. That's how we find ourselves. But there is a natural rhythm in the kingdom of God that we ought to rest. Resting in the kingdom of God says a couple of things. A, it says, oh, I, God, that you're, you know what's up. When you create a rhythm, you know you created us and you create a rhythm, you know what's up. So it's best practice, like going to the doctor. If he says you should lay off this or stop doing this, you go, okay, well, you're the doctor, you know. I should probably listen to that advice. So there's that aspect. There's that aspect that God knows what he's up to. Uh, and there's also this aspect that in resting, you're trusting. In resting, you're trusting. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's like the tithing of your life, right? And giving God the first fruits, the, ten, the first 10% of your, of your increase, you're saying, God, through Scripture, your, your word says you redeem, that as I'm bringing this back to you, you're redeeming my, my income, you're redeeming my money. That's what Scripture says in Malachi. And that, God, you can do far more with a 90% redeemed than I can do with 100% on my own, right? And so the same thing, and, and then so tithing is a position of trust. Tithe, regardless of what you think of tithing at, at the heart of it is trust. I trust you, God. As I bring back this to you, you will, you will look after me and you'll provide, as your word says. So is, uh, so is resting. Resting is trust. I trust you, God, that as I rest, you will take care of those things in my life, that you will, that you will provide ways through, that you'll create, that God, I can trust in you. Resting is trusting. But isn't this interesting that in Psalm 23, verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down. Sometimes God will get us to a point as our shepherd, where he will force the lie down. He will bring us to a place of rest. Has this ever happened to you? We feel like God has forced your hand, caused a moment of pause, a moment of stop, and a moment which you might have not have even understood as a moment of rest, but maybe looking back on it now, you can see what God was doing. But it's interesting that as you, if we focus on the fact that what's going on in our world, you know, and, and we're resting, we're stopping, and we're worried about that, we forget the fact that actually where he's positioned us in this moment of rest, it says this is green pastures. 
I find it also interesting that he makes the sheep lie down in green pastures because what I know about sheep is they normally eat the green. <laughs> they normally eat, 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 eat. If there's grass, they're eating. If there's grass, they're, they're consuming it. But he's actually like, I'm not interested in all the things that you do. I'm interested in you just being. I just want you to stop, slow down, rest. He's almost saying, look, there is all this provision around you that I've provided so you can rest. I've provided. Look at it. There's green pastures all around you because I've led you to this place. Now lie down and just chill. Maybe that's speaking to someone this morning that God is calling you to lie down, to rest. His provision is for you. His provision is around you. He's calling us to rest. And he leads me beside still waters. And I love this, that if God is leading us, there is never a place where he goes where he's not leading you place a pla- place, past a place of, of, of drinking, of, of, of refreshing, of, of refreshment, of water is just amazing. Water is often used to represent the Holy Spirit, that, that God's going to lead you to a place of his presence, that God's going to lead you through a place of overflow, a place of refreshment, of rest. And this is the, the nature and the heart of God. But the key, I think, in this verse is that he leads me. Right? That if God leads me, this is the where I will go. The question we have to ask ourselves always, though, is, is God leading me? Am I being led? Am I in the position of the heart that God can lead me, that God can direct my steps, direct my path? Because as he does this, as he leads me and as I follow, the promise here in Psalm 23 verse 3, which I love so much, is that he restores my soul. Restores my soul. That God is a redeeming, restoring God. That he, he takes what was broken and out of order and puts it back into order. That he takes what was broken and restores it, made whole. The word salvation comes from sozo, meaning to make whole. That God is a restoring God. That God delights in you, desires you, but also wants to lead you and lead you to a place of complete restoration. That this is the position of your good shepherd. He wants to lead you to a place of complete restoration. Restoration is his desire, is his direction. And he carries on to say, he leads me, so he leads me besides still waters and restores me, but he also leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so here's where it gets critical that we understand that he's our shepherd, but he's also our Lord, that God leads and he wants us to follow. He doesn't just want us ringing up the emergency bell when we need a savior to rescue us. And we're going to lead ourselves. We're going to go whatever direction we want to go. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to lead our own life. But then when we crash and burn and when things happen, we're going to cry out to God, come and rescue us, come and save us. God is good and faithful to that. But he wants to know that he wants to lead you. And so when things come into your world, they might be trying, might be difficult as the scripture is about to take a twist and a turn here into verse four. He's wanting to let you know that there's a reason he's leading you into this position that might seem tough, that might seem awkward, that might seem hard, that might seem challenging, that might seem daunting. He's got a reason and it's your righteousness and that God is far more interested in your holiness and your righteousness than your temporary happiness. God will allow that to be sacrificed for the good of you, the purpose of God for your life and his glory. God will lead you so that you will grow in righteousness and right standing and trust and holiness. We have to understand that he does this. He does this for his glory. We can, he is a gentle God. He will, he will restore. He will, 
He will lead you in a place that you will, you will not have that place of lack of his presence, but he's leading you into paths of righteousness. Sometimes we will balk and shake our fists at the very thing God's wanting to lead us through for our good. Because this is where it takes a turn into verse 4. It says, And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk, well, let's, let's, let's t- take some key words here. I think one that we need to focus on is the word through. <laughs> you need to know that the word through, that the valley of the shadow of death is, no, is not, not, it's not your dwelling place or your destination. <laughs> and it's neither of those things. That, you are, that God says you're going to get through it. That you are, tra- you, are, you, are, you are traveling through some dark moments, some challenges, some tests that God is bringing you through for your righteousness, for his namesake. There is a place that you might walk through in times of life where there's valley moments. He says this is a valley. So it sometimes feels like life is like, in case, there's like uh, walls on, all around you that you sometimes feel completely enclosed in by circumstances of life. It feels like you are in that place. You're not on the top of the mountain, but you're in the valley, and it says that it's the valley of the shadow of death. And I love this because there's a couple of things that I really, really appreciate about this language that David brings here. Number one, it's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I, I don't mind dogs. I don't have a fear of dogs, right? But I also have a respect for dogs, okay? And, uh, and, and our... Uh, our friends we've met in Featherston have a very, very big Rottweiler. This Rottweiler weighs upwards of 60 kilos. He's a big dog. His name is Tyson. It's a good name for a Rottweiler. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, why don't you bring Monty, our six-month-old puppy, and we'll look after him for the night. And we're like, with the Rottweiler, Tyson will love it. They'll be great friends. They'll be, and, like, they'll be fine. And sure enough, they were fine. But I have a healthy fear of a dog like that that weighs, well, not as much as me because I'm a little bit heavier than 60 kilos, but like weighs a bit and could take me down. No doubt if that dog wanted to have a go, right? And so, and so therefore, I have an ought to have a healthy fear of that. But what I should never fear is the shadow of a dog. The shadow can't hurt me. The shadow can't bite me. The shadow has no teeth. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. And I love the fact that it says the shadow of death because, you see, we're walking through where death might have once been, but, but for Jesus. See, Jesus did something. Jesus put death to death. So now that there might have been death, now there is no death. Now we live in the shadow of death because shadow is gone. And shadows have no power. They just cast they just cast a darkness, but there is no actual power in the darkness. Isn't this exciting news, friend, that it's the shadow of death, not death itself, because Jesus has put death to death. And so we can walk through it. And many, many people in their deathbed have been encouraged by the Scripture that they right now, even with death, are walking through death. They're walking past the shadow of death. They're walking through the shadow of death to the other side to be greeted by the loving arms of their Savior. And I believe that when I breathe my final breath, that will be the outcome for me too. And that gives me all of the hope in the world that I walk Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. When God is with you, you have all that you need to overcome everything that you face. When God is with you, you have all that you need to overcome everything that you face, that He is 
a good shepherd, that he will restore, that he will cause you to lie down and rest, that he will bring you to places of, of water and, and, and refreshment. And even though you might walk through tough times in life, God will get you through to the other side. He is with you and his being with you is important. It says that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And whether or not that's the same thing or two different things depends on who you, you know, what uh, translation, not translation, what commentary you might read. But either way, it talks to God's protection and God's uh, correction. And it's loving correction, right? So as we're walking through these things, he's, he's like, as we might get fixated and fear starts to creep in, his correction will say, you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. That's the loving correction of God. I'm with you. This is a shadow and I'm with you. This is a shadow and I'm with you. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Keep your attention on me. I am right here with you. And I have my staff. There is nothing, when God has a staff, there's nothing that can come against you. When God's with you, with his protection, nothing can, 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 can take or affect you in a way that God will not protect you from. God is with you and he's protecting you. And his protection, his nearness is a comfort to King David and a comfort to us. And then he says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I love this because uh, in that place where you feel like the life is pressing in on you and things are coming against you, uh, whatever the enemy might be, and for, the different, for us those things, enemies can become in all different things in life, can't they? I think about in wartime when guys are in the trenches and it's bombardment going on and they had barely a time to grab a, a snack. In fact, they ate cold cans of food because there's no time to sort of heat that up and there was, it was just like grab it when you can because you're in war, right? Yet Jesus is saying, sorry, King David is saying about the presence of God that about that God will prepare a table. He will spread out lavish provision. He will, he will, he will, he will create a place of, of, of huge provision and abundance and a place where we can sit down even in the presence of my enemies. Even when my enemies are at my door, I don't have to worry. God is with me and I can sit and I can rest with him. Isn't this awesome news that God is saying that even when you're in this place, I'm preparing a table for you to sit down and commune with me. I love in Revelation 3 verse 20, he says that I stand at the door and knock and anyone that answers the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. I love this language of sitting and eating and God's, God's desire to actually rest with you and prepare and, and, and sit at the table and, and feast with you, that there is actually, uh, and, and one other thing I think about this is that in, often we find in life, and maybe it's just me, but maybe you might resonate, is that when you feel like you're in a place of a valley, when you feel like there's enemies at your door and you're battling and you're going through tough times, it can sometimes feel like God's presence is eluding you or evading you. It can sometimes feel like connection to God is drifting. Yet what he's saying is in those moments, I want to let you know how close I am. In fact, in those moments, I want to say, look, I'm right here and my presence is going to be greater in those times and in those moments. And I feel like that's a, a powerful thing that God's not just, not just, he stops. It's like he stops. He's preparing the table. He said, don't even worry about that. Just take your attention off that. Come sit. Chill and eat. I think it's amazing that 
what it means to me is that actually some of the most beautiful times we have with God aren't necessarily on the mountaintops, but actually come in the moments of those valleys. Some of the most closest and intimate moments is when we are able in those times to turn to God and allow his presence to really overwhelm us. And, and, and we find this just sense of depth, right? Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that he'd rather be at a funeral than at a party. Because at a party, everyone's woohoo, having fun, but nothing deep is happening at a party. It's just all, you know, emotion of fun and celebration. But at a funeral, you're forced to think deeply. You're forced to consider and self-reflect. Uh, I, I don't know, do you find that at funerals? There's this moment of self-reflection. It's like, well, I'm a finite person. We're saying goodbye to someone. That, and sometimes that's tragic. Sometimes that's like uh, sudden. And, uh, but regardless, it makes you realize that, man, we don't live forever. Uh, my mum uh, put something on social media this week that sort of said that, you know, if you imagine we're all standing in line and one day it's going to be our turn. It's like it's got, that there's a line of people and it's like one time it's going to be our turn to take a step across into eternity. It's a powerful thought, but Solomon said I'd rather be at a, at a funeral because at least it makes me think deeply. At least it makes me reflect and that's good for me. It's good for me to not to actually stop and look and think. And maybe, just maybe, the path that God's leading us on through the valley of the shadow of death will help create some reflection, some moments, and some intimacy with Him that will deepen you beyond anything else that could have happened if you'd been on the mountaintop. Just maybe. Just maybe. It appears that David has a pretty big body of, uh, of life to pull from, having a king try to murder him, running for his life, facing Goliath, having his brothers doubt him, all the things that he's had going on in his world, uh, he can testify to this. We can, we can learn and listen to King David. In the last scripture, surely goodness, oh, sorry, I didn't say that, my, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Whether it's the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is often related to as, the, as oil. And I love the fact that, in that so, so the anointing of God comes in these places when we, when we allow God to prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. It's such a powerful vision. And then he said, like, then I anoint your head with oil. My, my presence, my, my purpose, my presence comes upon you and your cup will overflow. It's completely the opposite of what we'd expect when our enemies are pressing on the door, that we're going to be in a moment of overflow, that we're going to be in a moment of anointing, that we're going to be in a moment of this, this deep... No, mo, mo, so, Maybe, just maybe, that's for you and for me, that maybe, just maybe, that in the valley moment, God's going to anoint and overflow in your world too. Last verse, surely goodness and mercy, verse 6, shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this, that goodness and mercy, theologians will say them as these twin angels that follow, these twin angels of goodness and mercy. God leads me in the front and goodness and mercy follow me in behind all the days of my life, understanding that the position and the heart of God is merciful and good. And this is his desire towards me, his, his focus for me. He's a good and merciful God and they will never ever leave you. His position, his heart towards you will never ever stray from that. And the summation of all things all things, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I will read one, one thing that um, uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says about this. I love this. While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. This is what I'm saying, that the presence of God is for you now, that God wants to make a home in, within you, 
He wants your life to be a residence for the Holy Spirit for him. But he also wants to know that he's made a home for you. And that the culmination of all things is that you get to be with God forever. And that is the focus of all that we, get, we come against, the fact that God is bringing us to a place of forever communion with him. Why don't we stand, church?